Hello and welcome again to another episode of the Of Mugs and Men podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Chase Cooper. I don't know what episode this is, so we're just going to get right into it. Um, that, yeah, if you haven't noticed, I've never done a video before, so let's just get that out of the way. I'm trying to get into doing a little bit more video, um, trying to get some, some uh, Facebook reels, Instagram reels uh, out into the ether, and um, yeah, so that's kind of like you know, why I'm trying to do all this stuff. Some YouTube shorts. I'm trying to get in to YouTube, but, uh, if you guys have been following along on the podcast at all, you guys know, uh, I'm all about the baby steps. So it's been a long time, uh, trying to figure out the major, major steps. And I've done quite a bit of that, but, um, yeah, when we focus on the baby steps, a lot of times, um, that's when we see the most growth. When we focus on the, oh, we may get into that here in just a little bit. Hope my squeaking is not driving you nuts. Anyways, what I wanted to talk to you today about was uh, sin and temptation. Um, I don't know whether we'll get into temptation. We may uh, have to cut this whole thing a little bit short, but I know we're going to talk about sin, and I want to talk about sin. Um, I man, I don't even really know why this came up in my mind, but for some reason. Uh, external circumstances in the world that I'm seeing going on over and over and over again. Not just a sin problem, but for some reason I felt like I needed to highlight um, what was going on. And that is sin. And I want to highlight what sin is and, and how we look at it and, and how we interact with it. So um, yeah, that's probably my first point that I want to make. It's, it's not about uh, what exactly sin and temptation is, but that it's just a part of life. Um, like from a basic, uh, point of view, right and wrong do exist, right? And how we can know that right and wrong, uh, do exist is a lot of times if you talk to a, a Christian about this, like, you know, what is the, um, the reason for wrong and right, you know, they'll give you the moral argument is what they call it. The moral, the moral, my God, I can't talk. The moral argument for God is basically um, just saying that because there is a right and wrong that exists, because objective reality does exist, we can prove, you know, kind of working backwards, we can prove that uh, that God exists, right? So, <coughs> sorry about that. I'm getting over some crud. Um, you guys probably know what I'm talking about. It's, it's wintertime in West Virginia, so we're getting over some crud. Right and wrong are just facts about reality. And if, if you don't believe me on that, then I would suggest that uh, you're proving my point for me. If you disagree with what I'm saying, then you obviously um, have a respect for what is right and what is wrong. If you believe that I'm right, I mean, if you believe that I'm wrong and that you're right, you guys get what I'm saying? So objective reality is true. Um, I, I kind of believe that we, we live in an objective reality. We live in objective reality. Objective reality exists, right? But the way that we live our lives, the way that we conduct ourselves is kind of in a relative sense. You know, we're always trying to figure out what that is. Um, objectivity is the absolute correct, right? And I'm getting into a little bit of philosophy here, at, at least hillbilly philosophy. Objective reality is the absolute um, correct, right, true thing, right? The ideal. And you and I will argue constantly about what that ideal is and the right and the true thing is. But 
the fact is that we're always seeking uh, what is that right and true thing. We're always looking for true north, you know? And just so happens that me being a Christian, I believe that the true north, obviously, is the Bible. It's, it's God. It's uh, Jesus, right? It is, he is true north. And that's how I look at things, is that um, <laughs> I just kind of assume that I'm, I'm wrong and he's right. And I just, I just defer all of my opinions um, to him and to his word. So that's just, that's pretty much all I want to say about objective reality. But, um, when we defy what that objective reality is, when we, um, defy what the ideal is, you know, when we're working all this stuff out, um, a lot of times that's what leads us straight into, um, destruction, leads us right into folly, leads us right into, uh, things that we don't want to do. And a lot of times, and you can probably look back at, you know, points in your life. Um, when you do the thing that, uh, well, I mean, you, you read your Bible, you read maybe a, a proverb or something like that, right? And it gives you a, a sense of um, maybe some business sense or something like that. And you put that into place and you, and you start to use that to your advantage. And you kind of realize pretty quick, like, I think this, you know, I think this Bible actually has something going on. I think the Bible actually knows what it's talking about here, right? So that's all I'm trying to get across is that we, there is an objective reality. We live in this relative sense of us always trying to work this out, always trying to find true north. And when we do hit that true north, when we finally uh, start to listen, when we finally start to put into practice things that are tried and true uh, things, maybe something from Proverbs, like I said before, we can figure out that objectively, that, that objective truth really does lead us to a straight and narrow path. So a lot of times we don't realize that in this world, the odds are kind of stacked against us, right? From the very start, and I mean going back to Adam and Eve days, they never really had much of a chance, right? Because we still live in this same flesh. Of course, they were in the garden with God and they were walking with him and all that. But truly, they were exactly like you and me. Like we we share the same exact thing. Adam and Eve didn't have anything. Uh, well, let's see. Adam and Eve had a lot more than we had, <laughs> right? They were walking in the garden with God, like I mentioned before. They had everything provided for them. Uh, they were living in paradise. But in terms of our uh, mental capacity and, and wants and desires and things like that, they weren't much different than us. They still had those same temptations. They still had all those things. I think a lot of times we sort of forget that, right? We forget um, that Adam and Eve were kind of like us. We look at Adam and Eve sometimes like they were superhuman. And um, because of the fall that they experienced, they lost everything, right? Um, they lost the relationship that they had with God and the simplicity, honestly, of living in the garden, um, they did not, however, lose their humanity. And that's kind of what I'm trying to drive home here is that we're, we're in the same boat as Adam and Eve, right? And a lot of times we kind of either a, we put them on a pedestal of like, you know, they should have never done this thing or B, we put them as, you know, totally decrepit human beings of, you know, whatever it is. But I think the point that he's trying to get across there in Genesis is look, these are people. I created them just like I created you. And uh, they have the same pitfalls. They have the same desires and wants and everything else that you have. And this is a story 
of how you need to view reality, where you're always going to be faced with these two trees, right? You're always going to be faced with the choice of right and wrong. And when you choose this way, you continue to live in that paradise. You continue to live in ease and comfort. Not always. I mean, obviously that is never the case, right? But um, when you choose wrong, when you choose the absolute, like you knew it was bad, right? And we think back to, um, think back to that story in the garden. They knew they had these two trees. They knew one of the trees was a no-go, but they still did that. When you do something that you know is is wrong, when you do something that you know is the wrong thing to do, it leads to death. It leads to um, getting cast out of that paradise, getting cast out of ease and comfort and all these things. So I think that's really the, the point behind it, other than the historical aspect of it. So... Um, let me take a drink. So really that brings us to sin. Okay. And sin oftentimes is defined as missing the mark, right? And that mark, the target, right, is um, the word of God. In my opinion, because I'm a Christian, it's the word of God. That's the mark. Think back to what I said earlier about the objective uh, truth. Him being the object of truth. We're, we're constantly seeking how to be more and more like Him, right? From glory to glory, all these things. We're constantly trying to be more like Him every single day. That's the mark, okay? And what He says about it, what His Word says about whatever it is, uh, about everything, really. So just to break that down a little bit more and talk a little bit about uh, ethics, maybe, let's go down this rabbit hole. So... Everyone believes uh, this next statement. Everyone believes that murder is wrong. Okay. Now, how you define murder, we're going to get into that. But how do we know that murder is wrong, right? Well, we could say God said so, right? That's pretty elementary. But to say that murder is correct and right is complete folly, right? There's never a situation where murder is the correct thing to do. It's always against what he said, right? That's one of the commandments, thou shalt not murder, Right. And this is a lot of people get hung up on this. Right. So you might push back and say, well, not all killing is wrong. And that's where we start to get into the weeds about things, because you're right. Not all killing is wrong because not all killing is murder. They're two different things. So killing Adolf Hitler is defined as justice. Right. You got this guy and he's doing all these crazy, wicked, terrible things to other people to take that guy out. That is that's a judgment. That's a, that's justice, right? It wouldn't be, nobody would define that as murder. What he's doing is murder, right? Okay. So you guys are with me. Um, killing an innocent person out of lust or greed or, or whatever is wrong. And that's what we call murder. So you can see there's two totally different things here. That's why the story of Cain and Abel is wildly different than the story of Noah's Ark. Right? Cain and Abel, you have these two brothers. One of them is, is, um, oh, he's prideful. He's, 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 uh, greedy about whatever it is. He's got a bitter side of him for whatever reason. And <clears throat> on the flip side of that, you have Noah's Ark where literally the entire world gets destroyed. And who's doing the destroying? Why is he doing the destroying? Right? Well, he's doing the destroying because there's absolutely 
nothing but wickedness in this world. Literally, he only found one family that would um, that he would call righteous. So, him uh, taking out the entire world, you know, a lot of atheists or someone like that would call that murder, but that's not murder. In fact, it's it's his justice, it's his uh, his judgment, right? And he's the only judge that really gets a, a vote in eternity. So, I don't want this to kind of you know divulge into right and wrong so much as I want to recognize what sin is and and talk about how to deal with sin because we know what sin is, but sinning is still our problem. I'll say that again. We know what sin is, but sinning is still our issue. (laughs) Um, It's like we're fighting a battle and we know who the enemy is, but we still can't stop them, right? We see them. We know what it looks like. We know where they are. We can smell them. We know how it feels, but we still can't stay away. We still fall into this thing. We still lose that that battle in our mind, right? That's because I think it's like I think it's because we don't understand the enemy, right? We don't understand what sin is, how sin operates, how these things kind of come about. So we end up falling, and we fall pretty hard most of the time when we fall. Otherwise, we'd just be tripping, right? So where does sin come from? Okay. sin comes from within. It's a really hard truth, but it's true. Sin comes from within. Sin comes from your own self, your own wants and desires. Sin isn't something that shows up out of nowhere. Um, It's something that you're literally, you just, you just got it inside of you, right? Why do I struggle with a certain sin um, that perhaps you would never deal with? Well, you don't have the same desires that I have. You don't have the same um, battles that I have because we we have different wants and and desires. Uh, Why do men overwhelmingly struggle with sexual sin uh, through pornography and lust and things like that? Not saying that, obviously, that women don't. Women obviously struggle with those things. But men overwhelmingly fall to that sin more often than, than women do. Why is that? Because our brains particularly in men's brains, are predisposed to want that sexual interaction, right? And at points in our life, we're unable to fulfill those desires in a healthy way through marriage or what have you. So we fall into the temptation and miss the mark, and we watch porn or we lust after a friend or or even worse sometimes, right? Because we can't be playful with sin all the time. We, we always can't look at our own sin. We have to look at other people's sin too. I mean, Think of the heinous things. When we talked about Cain and Abel earlier, literally murdering his brother, that's a heinous act. But that's where these things go. You know, sometimes sin starts off as uh, a playful thing. Sometimes it starts off as something that is um, something that maybe you can control, and then it spirals out of control. You know, maybe uh, the first time you watched porn wasn't that big of a deal for you. Until you look back on it now and you feel like, wow, I I can't believe that that one little thing led me here. It's just how it goes. That's how sin operates. So look what God tells Cain. uh, Oh, wow. Look what God tells Cain in Genesis, because we often think we're unable to control ourselves, right? As if Cain had, we kind of look at Cain as like that was the only option he ever had, right? 
lifespan. And maybe that's because it's such a short story, right? But uh, sometimes we look at our own sin as I was unable to prevent this. Um, so uh, let's look at what God said to uh, said to Cain. This is Genesis 4, 1 through 7. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, quote, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an uh, offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Again, that's Genesis 4, 1 through 7. So <clears throat> I don't want to focus on why uh, sacrifices was, you know, one sacrifice had regard and the other one did not. I don't want to focus on that at all. What I want to focus on is what God told Cain after he was told, I have no regard for your, your sacrifice, right? Or however that worked. Um, the Lord warned Cain. And this is, you know, he's telling him, like, this is what's going to happen to you. You must, like, you're going to be faced with this decision, right? If you don't do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's going to be there. It's going to hit you in the face. How are you going to respond to it, right? This will happen to you. You must roll over this desire and temptation to retaliate in violence. So this tells us that we can actually resist temptation and we can resist sin a lot of times. We're actually able to resist. The question then becomes how to resist. And now, you know, are we strong enough to resist it? Do we have the self-control to resist? The Lord tells Cain, you have the opportunity to resist what you're thinking about doing. And he completely puts the ball into Cain's court. And, and Cain, of course, we know the story, falls and murders his brother Abel. James, in the book of James, um, in the New Testament, gives us a huge insight into sin and temptation and desire and this whole thing. Um he says, this is chapter 1, 13 through 17. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. What James is saying here is impossible. It's, it's impossible for God to tempt you right? He's not the one tempting you at all. God cannot be tempted. God don't even know what a tempt, other than the fact that he knows everything. He doesn't know what temptation is. He cannot, it's impossible for him to tempt you. He doesn't do that. It's not his character. It's not, it's not something that God does. So <clears throat> what's actually happening when you're tempted is this, your own desires are taking over your thoughts and leading you down a path that you never wanted to walk on. Your own desires are taking you down this path. And you look at the language that James uses here, and it's you're being lured, you're being enticed by your own desires. It's not something that you automatically uh, want. 
You know, it's something that is being worked against you. It's a desire that you have and it's being worked against you. And that's a quick overview of the, the dichotomy of the flesh and the spirit, right? Your flesh is oftentimes wanting something contrary to what you need. We're always looking at our own desires and wondering if it's truly a good move, right? The Bible tells us that we shouldn't really trust our hearts because our hearts are deceitful. Our emotions are, are, you know, things like that are truly just deceitful. And it's probably a good reason why you see a lot of newer Christians too, uh, completely just cold turkey stuff in their life. You know, when, when somebody um, gets saved, a lot of times you'll see them just stop doing everything. They will stop going out like they won't go out to eat. Like it's just like I need to figure some stuff out, right? I, I know I was like that. I spent a large portion of my life, um, a large portion of my adult life, drinking and partying and, and running around town. And then when I came to Christ and realized uh, my sin and, and I became uh, aware of everything that I was doing and, and what was actually going on, I became pretty jaded about going downtown or, or hanging out with my friends. Not that Christianity, you know, calls for that. I mean, I don't think the Bible ever says like, you know, stop living your life. It was just that that was my own attitude towards things. And, you know, as I was working through all this stuff, it was almost like my entire worldview had, had been flipped, you know? I had spent so much of my time in my life doing this one thing and thinking everything I was doing was correct. You know, and there was probably a little part of me uh, in the back of my mind that was kind of like, you know, you're not the best person, right? But no one ever thinks that they're a bad person. So when I'm confronted with my sin, you know, when the law of God really is like written on my heart, um, yeah, I, I think I became pretty jaded about the last few years of my life because it was like, I don't know what I've been doing, you know? So I trusted myself before. Right. And it's kind of like my thought process was like, I, I trusted myself before and look where that got me, you know? And, and now that I see this, I don't think that I can trust myself at all. So, I mean, anytime that I would come up against, I know this is like, you know, giving my testimony hour, but like anytime that I would come up against something, anytime I would be like, uh, you know, faced with a question of, you know, should I do this or should I do that or whatever? I would always try to, and I think this is a good idea, but always consult the Bible, always pray about things. I would, you know, I'd really seek the Lord and seek his counsel on stuff because I truly didn't know, you know, I was just ignorant to all this stuff. And I think in large part, like, you know how to act, right? I think most people can pretty much figure that stuff out. But, um, yeah, I mean, you spend so much time trusting yourself. Every emotion that you feel, every time that you, um, every time that you want to do something, you're just like, oh yeah, however I feel about it, I'm going to do it. And then your worldview gets flipped and you think, wow, I can't, I don't know that I should do that. I don't know that that's smart. What does the Bible say about this? And you know, that's probably why you have thousands on thousands of videos you know, titled stuff like, can Christians do this? You know, can Christians drink alcohol or can Christians uh, watch scary movies or, you know, can Christians do, uh, you know, can we wear pants? You know, crazy things when you look back on it. But that's probably why there's a lot of this going on because you have so many people that when they come to Christ, um, they've, they've lived a lie their whole life. You know what I mean? They've lived something that 
they just didn't understand. And now that they do understand, it's like, wow, I, I need to, I need to really figure this out. So I'm not saying, you know, because honestly it feels silly looking back. Uh, but I wanted, I know from my own experience, like I wanted to do his will so bad that that's what I was willing to do. Right. I was willing to take those little steps. I was willing to, you know, go to the bathroom and watch a five minute video on should Christians do that? You know what I mean? And just inundate myself with this information because I wanted to do his will so bad, you know, and that's not a bad place to be, not a bad place to be. So, so let's move on to uh, the, the second or second or third part of this verse, second part, I think. So when, di- when desire con- uh, conceives that desire that you have, when it comes full circle, when your flesh uh, finally gets what it wants, right? That's what James uh, says. That's what James is talking about. Like that's when it becomes sin, right? You've been fighting this desire of your flesh. It's been luring and enticing you and you give in to that desire. And that is the moment when it becomes sin, right? Um, now we're obviously, look, we're not talking about, um, we're not talking about cheeseburgers, right? We're not talking about, uh, something like that, but the same sort of rule applies. So that's what, you know, I'm going to use this as an example as a cheeseburger. Um, you're driving down the road and you don't feel hungry whatsoever. And you see this billboard, right? And you see this beautiful, uh, cheeseburger, right? It's just perfect. And they, they've crafted this burger perfectly. It's got everything on it that you would ever want. The redness of the tomato, the, the mustard and the ketchup forming together. And it's just like starting to drip out and, you know, the juiciness of the burger and these pickles and everything's just placed there. And you got this person and they're taking a bite and it's just like, it looks so perfect. And you weren't hungry before, but now you're hungry. And that's, kind of what desire does, you know, it, it takes something that maybe you didn't feel before, you know, man, I wasn't hungry before, but now that I've seen this thing, uh, I think, I, I think I kind of want it. Right. I think that desire that's been deep seated for my hunger, you know, has now taken on another form. Now, something that, um, well, let's, let's just get into this. Something that is totally harmless, right? Hunger and and wanting to eat, right? Totally harmless. Sin takes something that can be totally harmless. Say a a sexual desire, totally harmless, right? In the confides of marriage, right? <laughs> we know we know that from the Bible. We know that we're supposed to uh, satisfy those itches in the confides of marriage. Same way with uh, with eating. You know, we, we know that eating is something that we have to do. We have to stay alive, right? But we know we're not supposed to be gluttons either. So something um, comes along and entices you and lures you into that. And then when you eat that burger, right, that's when the deed is done. That's when the deed's done. Now, obviously, I'm talking about a cheeseburger here. There's no sin in eating a burger. But this is what happens to us every day with sin and with other things that we struggle with. Right. And just to piggyback on what I said earlier about pornography, go back to that because I've dealt with pornography is you can be minding your own business, right? You just, 
walking around the store or whatever it is. And anybody who's, who's also anybody who's ever dealt with this issue will understand when, what I'm saying, but it's just like seemingly out of nowhere, you know, you just get this tug and it's like, I have to, you know, out of nowhere, there's an itch that you got to scratch and it's disgusting. Right. And that's when there's a battle that starts in your mind. And when that battle starts, that's when you start to pray and all these things. And anybody who's overcome uh, a addiction like that or whatever it is, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's out of nowhere. It hits you like a ton of bricks. And it's just like you didn't think you were going to run into this today, but here it is. It's the same way with, all, with, with sin in general and with desires and all these things. This stuff is so serious, right? And I know I'm, I'm smiling a lot, but... Um, you look at the end of this section of scripture and it says, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Sin, sin does not kill you instantly, right? Oftentimes, most sin doesn't even, doesn't kill you at all physically, but um, spiritually, when we continue in sin and it gets easier and easier to do time after time after time, we become numb to this thing and we we barely even fight it anymore, right? And I'm I'm not even just talking about one particular one particular thing. But like we give in to something and the next time that it comes up, we give in again and we give in again and we give in again. And eventually it just becomes this thing that you're just you just allow it to happen, right? This desire, this want, this temptation comes and you just nah, why why even fight it, right? I didn't do anything last time, so I'm just going to allow it to happen this time. This is wrong-headed thinking. It's terrible thinking. Something that you should not even be close to thinking. All right? Um, well, let's, let's go down that road. Something that you shouldn't even be thinking. You don't have to think that way. Okay? And this is maybe where I start to encourage you a little bit. You don't have to think the battle's lost before it even starts. Right? And whatever the, the temptation, whatever the desire is, when that thing comes up, you can fight it, right? Just like Cain, he could have fought that desire back. He could have, he could have fought that thing that said, uh, you need to do this. You have to do this. But he didn't. I don't know why. You know, I'm, It doesn't give us a whole lot there other than the fact that he did it. But when you face something, and, and I know... If you have ever faced anything, I know that you know this. When it comes up, you're you're given a crossroads. You're given that crossroads, and one of them is way uphill, and the other one is just is probably slightly downhill. But the uphill battle that's what teaches you something. That's what that's the desire. That's the uh, not the de- not the desire. Sorry, that's the the testing of your faith. That's the trial, right? When you're facing a temptation, something that is just, I mean, it's coming at you. That's when you pray. That's when you have to consult the Lord and you say, God, I need help here. Right? And he is faithful to give you that help. But you got to ask for it. You have to ask for it. And uh, one, of, one, of the, um, one of the fruits of the Spirit, okay? If you're a saved individual, right? If you are someone who is walking with the Lord... Let me tell you this. You have the Holy Spirit. He's, he is accessible whenever you need Him. And when you need Him, you ask, and He's there. 
That's what access is all about, right? Jesus came, he died, and he rose again. And on the day of Pentecost, what did he leave with us? He left with us the Holy Spirit. These, this is something that some that most people, most people in the Old Testament never had a chance, never had an opportunity to do, was to pray and receive strength from the Holy Spirit to overcome something. But we, living in this New Testament age, we have this opportunity to, <laughs> to, to pray for one of those fruits of the Spirit, which is self-control. And if you got the Holy Spirit... That's just something that he comes with. That's, that's like, okay, if, if the Holy Spirit wore a, uh, a robe, a garment, one of the things that he would be wearing is self-control. It's just part of him. It's just something that, that happens. That's what a fruit is. An apple tree bears apples, period. It just does. The Holy Spirit bears self-control. When you need self-control, you can pray for self-control. That's what's hard is knowing up here that you have self-control in your hand and you can use it, but you're fighting your flesh. You're fighting your flesh. You're fighting something. You want it so bad. Okay. And this is something I thought all the time when I was addicted to pornography, you want it so bad. Your flesh wants it and you know that you can, but you just let it go. You know that you can fight it, but you don't. Oh, this is, this is hard stuff. You have the self-control. You have the things, you have the tools, I'll put it that way, to overcome the things that are ruining your life. You have them. You have them within your grasp. What are you going to do with it? And that's kind of what the Lord just lays on us is this is a fruit of the Spirit. You got the Spirit? If you have the Holy Spirit, you have this fruit. You have this fruit of self-control. Now, it's not yours exclusively. It's a byproduct of his spirit, right? So when you ask for it, he'll give it to you. You don't walk in self-control. You, you walk in, in destruction. You walk in something that, that really we can't even, even begin to understand. We, we are a, a walking contradiction. But when it comes to the flesh and the spirit, when we call upon the name of the Lord... We have that self-control, right? We walk in pride. We walk in, in, in greed and lust and all these things. But when those things start to crop up in us, when those desires come, when those temptations come, that's when we're given that crossroads, which I'm going to do it like this. You're given that. And we need to choose the uphill battle because the path of least resistance never teaches you a thing. You just stay stagnant. You just keep going downhill and downhill and downhill. But when you keep going uphill, that's the glory to glory, right? Okay. <clears throat> okay. Well, you know what? I I wanted to get into um, temptation, but I don't think I'm going to. I think we're going to save temptation, and we'll get into temptation uh, in another in another section. I think for today, that's probably enough. You know, I'm just starting off this stuff. I'm just starting off. Uh, well, it, it, this is my first YouTube, right? So let's just go with that. I'm just starting this stuff off. I'm trying to keep things short. I'm trying to keep it manageable um, so that I can give you guys something that's impactful, something that is um, something something good, something you can take with you, right? I don't want to sit here and bore you to death when I'm trying to figure something out. So let's leave sin there, and we'll just talk about sin in this episode. 
and <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> and we'll do another one about temptation. And also want to get into a little bit of, um, I want to talk about generational iniquity in another one. I think that'll be really fun. Um, if you don't know what generational iniquity is, I'll give you a, a quick little primer. A lot of people uh, point to different scriptures and they'll say that, um, a lot of people will call it a generational curse. We'll put it that way. So <clears throat> they'll point to certain scriptures and they'll say, because your dad or your mom or your grandma or your grandpa or whoever, aunt, uncle, uh, struggled with this thing, you too will also be predisposed to struggle with that thing. Now they attribute it to a, a spiritual thing, which is fine, you know, do whatever. I want to examine that a little bit farther. I want to give you my take on it. Um, I want to talk about upbringing and this was probably all going to be under the umbrella of sin and temptation and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I think for today, I think that's enough for today. Um, trying to break this stuff up into manageable bite-sized bits. If you guys enjoy this stuff, please tell me, um, it encourages me so much. There's a lot of people that come up to me, um, and they'll let me know, Hey, I, I read what you wrote the other day and I enjoy it. Thank you so much. I needed that, you know, things like that. And that really just, it, it amps me up and encourages me and I would not do this stuff if it wasn't for you. Um, well, I would probably do this stuff, but the fact that it's helping someone lets me know that I'm on the right track. Okay. When I stop receiving stuff about, Hey, you helped me or you did this or blah, blah, you know, when I can stop giving glory to God, that's when I'm going to stop doing this. Right. Cause all glory goes to God and uh, it's nothing that I'm doing, you know, Nothing of this is, is something. I mean, he wakes me up with this stuff, and I cannot give him enough praise for this. So, yeah, I, I thank you guys for uh, for tuning in. Um, let's pray. Might as well just pray, right? So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, what you're doing. We thank you for each and every person that um, would watch this video. I uh, ask that you would bless their day, that in their coming and their going, Father, that you would be with them, that you're walking with them. Father, uh, bless this, uh, whatever we have going on here, we'll call it a ministry. We thank you, God, for what you're doing through me, through these people that are, are watching this. Uh, Father, I pray that they got something out of this today, something that they can carry with them, something that is uh, going to impact them, that will change them uh, from the inside out. We thank you for the work that you're doing um, around the world, inside of me, in, in, this, in this area. Uh, Father, I thank you for my church. I thank you for all these people. And uh, Father, like I said, be with them. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. See you later.